0: Morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. So here, here's the way this thing came about, was that we have like five or six open weekends a year where we don't book anything. Um, we do that because we run a crazy schedule here. I mean, just crazy. A lot of y'all been here for other events, student events especially. You keep up with teenagers 50 weeks a year, you will lose your ever-loving mind. And some of you have raised teenagers. And so, you really get it. Um, but So, we, we schedule these weekends where we don't do anything, which is pretty important. Um, and But we people kept saying, hey, man, why don't y'all do another, why don't y'all do a spring marriage conference? And uh, we do, so we started off doing these in the fall, you know. How many of y'all been to one in the fall? I'm sorry, I'm just getting here, y'all probably been asked these questions, all right. All right, so... We started doing these several years ago. I mean, a long time ago. We're 22 years old. We started doing these like year five. So, you know, it's like math. You subtract and add and all that. You, you figure it out. So, so we do do like one a year. And the first, I remember the first uh, the first one of these we ever did. We had this uh, guy come. We're trying. We know what to do, man. I had been married like some math thing again, but not long. Less than less than a decade. Less than a decade, all right. So um, <laughs> we're like, what are we gonna do? I'm not, I can talk to people about how am I gonna talk to people about marriage for like two whole sessions, you know, like I was I didn't know what to do. So we brought in this guy, he was basically like a uh, like a show singer, like a cruise boat type singer, but he's a Christian guy y'all it was the most hilarious thing he made a couple's like chubop dance and stuff and while we were in the back all the staff we went outside we didn't want to get sucked into that we were like laughing at everybody through the window so you're welcome we've evolved <laughs> you don't have to do that we don't make you do any really weird exercises we'll leave that between you and the lord and the holy spirit but uh yeah so we started doing those and they were like it was what made it worse is they were only like maybe 10 couples here so you know like there was no hiding in the crowd and uh everybody's shoe bopping and this dude's up there letting it rip with his tr- his soundtracks you know he's, he's mixing and sliding and <laughs> it was funny um <laughs> yuri's a lot better than that guy yuri's yuri's all the way from ukraine or wherever that guy's from but anyway so so then these things they really progressed and grew people really loved it and appreciated it and said man this is great it's helping us and I think it's just there's kind of a practical blue-collar feel to how we do things around here anyway, and so people appreciate that, the people that we tend to, to see come to events at SWO. and uh, So then we expanded it, uh, and we were doing it in November, and it would always be cold and rainy, so then we're like, well, let's do it in October during the peak season of leaves, you know, like it's so pretty here in this valley. And so we moved it to October, and then, then it started selling out, just packed out, so we added a second week. So in October we do those back-to-back weekends. Well then some of you people started saying you should do one in the spring you should do one in the spring. (laughs) It is not easy to come up with sermons and teaching texts that are fresh and new because not only were people saying you should do one in the spring they're saying and it should be all new content. Now this is very difficult like this has been hard putting this together I'll tell you and so um, but I'm really excited about it, and I'm, I'm excited because the spring event so far is much smaller. Uh, this is a pretty small event, and it has a different feel to it to me already. And so I'm excited to teach this morning. I, I think I had such a good word picture of how this marriage thing works going into this weekend. I've, I've been on vacation with my family this week, and just me and little and four of our five kids, it's good. Nobody else around. It's good. We were in a very isolated place, and uh, but we're sitting in the, on, by the lake. And little likes to play this game. I'm sure some of you wives like to do things that make your husbands look like idiots, and then some of you probably don't have to try very hard. And but little's the drummer here. My wife is the drummer here, and so she's like, all right, all right let's do the drumming game. And I'm like, I don't want to do the drumming game. She's let's do the drumming game. She's already laughing. I don't want to do the drumming game. The drumming game is where she tries to get you to keep a drum beat, knowing that you can't. Ca- I'm not a drummer. I can't keep a drum beat. If I keep a drum beat, I would have been the dadgum drummer at camp a long time ago. You know, I can't keep a drum beat. So she's like, "No, no, no, no! Come on, like, do this. Here we go." And so she's playing some John Mayer song, which I don't like. John Mayer, I'm a country boy, can't survive, right? So like, she's like, "Here we go." And so I'm going, okay, all right, oh, yeah, I got it, all right, I got it. She's like, here we go, ready? Do, do, boom. And she's like, a-, and now I can't do it, but she adds, she starts. So she gets two beats going here, and I'm like, all right, that's cool, I got it. Yep, that's easy. I got a right hand. I got a left hand. They work together. I do things with them together all the time. That's cool. And she's saying, now here we go, here we go, here we go. And she just adds this little doot doot with her foot like that. And I, like, slapped myself in the face, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and then she's just laughing, can't do it. I'm like, why don't I can't do it i'm like why don't i can't do it i can't i can't do it last time i can't do it now i couldn't do it 10 years ago when you wanted to play this game <laughs> and and like and i thought oh my goodness like we're going to the marriage tree. this is a perfect example of like you are not the same two people right so when we like talking about marriage we are going to talk this morning out of genesis 3 about the complementary idea of marriage it is a complementary endeavor that god established what do we mean by complementary? It means no two people are the same. No two humans are the same. And then you put a boy one and a girl one together. All right? They're already, like, completely different as, like, subspecies of each other. You know, like, men and women are not the same. You put two together, two completely different human beings, hardwired by God to be different. Think different. Different set of gifts. Different set of talents. Different set of desires. Different fears, different joys, things that excite one that don't excite the other, things that scare one that don't scare the other. I'm not, scared, like, I'm not scared of the dark. My wife is scared of the dark. Okay, so like one of my favorite things to do is to scare her. <laughs> so we're sitting out, we're at the lake, we're there at the lake this week, and she's sitting there one night, she goes down and gets a fire going by the lake. I was up in the cabin with the kids, I looked down there and I was like, Oh, your mom is down there by the lake with the fire going, and they're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> well, to get in the water, it's pretty slimy and weeds and reedy out away. Like there's a little beach area, but to, off to the side, you gotta crawl through the weeds and stuff. Well, duh. That's I'm not missing out on that opportunity, right? Like, <laughs> that's like a 20 minute night stalk through the water that ends with a <clears throat> coming out of like the Loch Ness monster, you know? And she's wetting herself and running to the house. It's great. <laughs> It's awesome, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's see who's got the drum beat right now. You what I'm saying? She's running to the house, but now, like, bullets are coming, so you got to play it smart. So, so like, every step, like, every step of your life, every step of my life, like like, day to day, there's got to be this awareness that, we're not the same. And, I, and for me to try to make this other person conform to me or my desires or my demands is ludicrous. But that is exactly what 90% of marital problems exist because of. Because I'm trying to make this person think like me, act like me, desire what I desire, feel what I feel. doesn't work that way. So what, what Scripture gives us is this complementary idea where what I want to do this morning is, is hopefully not preach, hopefully teach. I really want to just walk through Genesis 2 in the first marriage. This is God God ordained this. And I used uh, I always try to uh share at these events the resources that I use primarily and I, I really mainly used a resource for this uh weekend. It's a commentary called Creation and Blessing. It's my favorite commentary on the book of Genesis. It's by a guy named Alan Ross, and it's kind of like the staple, like if you, if, you, if you go do some research on like, what are the best commentaries on different books of the Bible, Alan Ross's good commentary on the book of Genesis is like a staple. And it's, it's what's called an exegetical commentary. So it's just, it's just like mainly outlines and main ideas. And so I just want to walk through the way he covered uh, Genesis chapter 2. So let's go Genesis 2. And we'll start in... Uh, we will do the whole chapter, but we're going we're gonna to mainly just hone in on a few verses at, towards the end. Genesis chapter 2, this is at the end, come to the end of creation, all right? So God has just created everything physically. Um, Genesis 2, 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So he's just finished creating the heavens and the earth. So everything physical on the earth, everything physical in the expanse of space, the universe God has created. Verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done, so, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground." Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Okay, so hit pause. Like, first, first uh, thing that we see in the introduction to Genesis 2, which is an overview of creation, this is basically an overview of creation, is right there in verse 3. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So you've got this idea that God creates the earth, Now watch this. And then he sanctifies the earth. What does it mean that he sanctifies it? It means he establishes holiness and it's set apart for a specific purpose. So God sets creation apart for a specific purpose. God doesn't randomly like, you know, like, uh, my, 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 it's always funny at my house. We'll do art projects like at Christmas. We do, we do, uh. Christmas, we things hang on the tree, ornaments, Christmas ornaments. And everybody's got to do one. And everybody just laughs at mine because I'm not an artist. I can't like, it. you know, you know how, how to hold the pen, the the crayon or whatever. So it's just stupid. It just looks stupid. It looks worse than a five-year-old. And everybody laughs. And, oh, okay, everybody, oh, boy, I can't wait. Christmas Eve decoration time again. Let's laugh at the old man, you know, so it's always the same. And so, but the the thing is, like, when you see someone who is very artistic and creative it's really impressive to watch you ever watch somebody do uh, like street drawings like one of these street vendors in new york city or maybe at an amusement park or something like that and they're drawing pictures and they're doing it really fast and they're doing it with creativity or you know you watch the old bob ross show and, you know if you can stay awake through that dude's voice you know and that froze bouncing back and forth you guys know bob ross right pbs guy and he's drawing stuff and you're like and I don't know about you, but I watched it and I'm going, how is he taking like that and making that? You know, there's, there's a creativity to what he's doing. Well, the ultimate creator created earth with, with so much glory and beauty and creation is God's idea, but it ha- and it has purpose. So it's not random. It's not a random drawing God didn't just sit down and say, oh, what am I going to come up with today? Like it has precision and purpose and design. So God designs it. He designs everything to work according to his plan. Okay, so there in verse 3, it says that he sets it apart. He makes it holy, it has purpose. Everything in creation, in the garden, in the beginning, everything has purpose. Everything has purpose. And we know that that changes with the fall. Everything still has purpose, but now we've got a different situation on our hands But at the beginning, in creation, everything's got purpose. All right, so we keep going there in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there's gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium, Onyx, stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from the day that you eat of it you shall surely die okay so moving verses 18 through seven i mean eight through 17 and here's what we get in this section you've got a clear responsibility now laid out for man to obey god so god we saw at the beginning god creates the world and the earth and everything in it then now in this section, God, because in verse 7 we saw the formation of the man, now God establishes the relationship between the man and God as a relationship of obedience. Or we would then also be able to say worship. So obedience is worship. Like you can't, like you can't show up at church, raise your hands and sing good songs, and then be, be disobedient. Like, that, like obedience is worship. So my submission to the Word of God, adherence to the Word of God, obedience to the commands of scripture that's an act of worship think about the intimacy that exists between a child and a parent when that child is obedient it's a very it's a it's a bonding effect and so god puts the man in the garden he says here's what I want you to, I want you to i want you to do these certain things and god gives the man opportunity for worship through obedience there's clear responsibility for the man to keep god's commandments we'll come back to that in a minute that's real important and will be throughout the rest of history to today okay next the, the, the commands are broken down into three things there in verses 15 through 17. Work, keep, and obey. Work, keep, and obey. With that, we're not going to unpack it in detail. We've done that. There are sermons that we've preached just on those three words at marriage conferences at SWO. And that content's online. Work, keep, obey. The idea to work is to provide. So the man is to create provision. Men, this means we have a responsibility to provide spiritually, emotionally, and physically in our home. Doesn't mean that your wife might make, might, she might make more money than you. But you have the responsibility of being the, the, the head of that home when it comes to the provision of spiritual growth, emotional need, relational engagement. Like it's my responsibility my wife may be more educated, more talented, make more money. That's cool. That's fine, man. Maybe not. On, but we've got different situations here. Bottom line is the man has a responsibility to be the primary provider when it comes to spiritual headship in the home. This is where we see in student ministry a lot of kids come out of homes where there's dysfunction in the home because dad doesn't go to church or refuses to lead spiritually. And a lot of times, dad is very bold and manly and masculine, but he's a coward when it comes to spiritual responsibility. And There's no place for, for cowards in headships and homes. There ain't no place for that. we going on a quarter century of dealing with the repercussions of that in student ministry. Men that just refuse to do what God's called them to do. Men are God's ordained spiritual providers in households. That's the way God designed it. Okay, so Work, keep, obey. So he's like, work is to provide, keep is to protect. To protect, I failed at this miserably oftentimes in my life. Like, like, not just talking physical protection here. We're talking about emotional protection. We're talking about protection against the enemy and his schemes. Scripture says Satan is going to have schemes and ideas and ways that he's going to assault the family, and we got to be like diligent so here the man is given this responsibility to do this before the woman's been brought into the picture so god first says to the man hey protect your home protect your home spiritually protect your home emotionally you got a responsibility to work and keep and then obey he gives him instruction on how to obey like like the word of god is laid out so god's established what then will be the way that families cities And nations are to be established, and that is through obedience to God's word. So the way that God establishes the first family, the way that God will then establish nations, namely the nation of Israel, the way that God will establish cities and tribes and peoples is through obedience to his word. So God will say, Obey my word, and I will bring blessing. Obey my word, and I will bring security and protection. Obey my word, and I will guard what I've entrusted you with. So, so if we want strong marriages, then we obey God's word. If we want strong societies, then we obey God's word. So a society that is honoring, obeying God's word is going to be a strong society. And so we joke all the time and call it, my family, we call it the Holloway Nation, right? There's seven of us, we call it the nation. We've got about to be eight, right? My oldest daughter, y'all might have heard, my oldest daughter just got engaged. So we're getting ready to expand, okay? So there's going to be eight. It's the Holloway Nation. I'm the patriarch, all right? That's good. I like it. Let's expand and fill the earth and impact the nations with the gospel. Okay, well, what's that idea? The idea is God has established the way in which people function in relationship, in in civil relationships and family relationships. And that, the way that we function and receive the blessing of God is just through obedience. That's it. If I can obey the Lord, it's such a simple concept. If I will be obedient to God's word, God will bless my marriage my work my life blessing comes because it, it brings intimacy with the lord obedience to god's word is critical to thriving as a people listen to what the bible says in deuteronomy chapter 30 This says god speaking to the nation of israel as he establishes them as a nation now listen you've got similar verbiage god establishes israel as a nation and he gives them this instruction deuteronomy 30 verse 15 y'all know what a motif is motif an idea that runs through a story that that's recurring so like one of the big motifs in scripture would be um the 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 well motif Um, moses at a well meets his wife abraham at a well isaac at a well jacob at a well jesus and the woman at the well it's a motif Okay, so you'll see motifs like sort of these, these word pictures that have a fabric that sort of runs through the whole story. Y'all, y'all track with that? Okay, motifs. So, so here you've got this strong, big sort of a motif of God establishing people through obedience. Okay, and we'll see that throughout history and throughout. So here God is speaking to Israel as a nation. Listen to the common idea, the motif of God speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, and now God speaking to Israel in Deuteronomy. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So you've got this same idea happening now where God in the garden says, Obey my commandments. And you'll live, you'll receive blessing, you'll receive protection, provision. Then God says to the nation of Israel, if you obey my commandments, same thing. Okay. So, so obedience and adherence to God's word is a motif. It's something that God establishes at the very onset of humanity that still works for us. If, I, if we will cultivate a marriage in which both of us honor and obey God, then we'll get everything else right. Everything else will sort itself out. If, if I'm being obedient to the Lord, like we talk about the vertical relationship is critical to the horizontal relationships. If I'm being obedient to God, I'm going to have wisdom I need to parent that child or stepchild. If it's a blended marriage, that can be, that's, that's a completely different set of, of, of uh, difficulties. So if I'm being obedient to God, he's promising me blessing, which with that blessing is going to come wisdom. Okay, Let's keep going. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we get to verse 18, and now you've got God describing the creation of the woman as the man's complement and partner we're going to unpack these words so we so we get good biblical context this is this has been this is under assault in our society but it's always been under assault from since this point it's always been like the point of attack so this is the foundation and the inst uh, of the institution of marriage god's intention for the man and woman was a complementary partnership The, relation, the relationship is to be one of spiritual and functional unity. The two are to walk in integrity by serving the Lord and keeping his commandments. So I'll give you two points from this part of the text. The first one is we see in verses 18 through 20 the man's incompleteness. Incompleteness. <laughs> I heard somebody the other day describe a guy's house as a bachelor house. Guy, guys like in his 30s divorced but he's living alone and like you know and and these these two gals were talking and she and the one lady was like you know it's like a batch, it's like a dude that lives by himself, you know like everything's tan and microwaved i was like okay i get it right there's like there's some dudes that can handle it but most of us like if i live alone we're going to eat a a diet of 80 percent grilled meat and 20 percent something with sugar in it (laughs) donuts cookies ice cream We're going to drink a lot of whole milk, right? (laughs) Like, it's going to look different. What are we having tonight? Grilled chicken. What are we having tonight? Grilled cow. What are we having tonight? Grilled pig. Like that, you know, like, so, and it can be good, and there, there are single dads that do a really good job. There are single men that do a really good job. There are widowers that do a really good job. But what God's pointing out in 18 through 20 is that initially when God created the man and he was on the earth by himself, like there was an incompleteness there was a lack of completion here you see that in the text right there he says go back to verse 18 lord god said it's not good that the man should be alone why is that interesting well up until this point in the text if you go back and you read all of genesis 1 and you read genesis 2 here's what you get god did this and it was good god did this and it was good god did this and it was good 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 and then all of a sudden you get this this is not good this is not good okay, so god's speaking to us and telling us that at this point in creation it's not good now does god make mistakes no so it's not like no this is important for our theology god hasn't gotten to a point and then went ah shoot i left something out he's just not finished this is this what we see is the man's incompleteness. The man has a job to do. The man has tasks in front of him. The man has received a word from the Lord. The man has everything he needs technically for fellowship and relationship with God. So the every, so what God has done, what God has done is established the vertical before he introduces the horizontal. And a lot of us, we came to faith in Jesus maybe after the horizontal was established. So Fell in love, fell in lust, whatever, You're like, but end up married, OK? And there's this relationship that's established on horizontal things, even though we're spiritual people, this is missing. And so we come back, and many of you have power, powerful testimonies, we come back then and start to build this vertical relationship between you and God, then working through the, the complexities and the issues of the horizontal relationship with your spouse. Where we know if we get this right at the beginning and the foundation is built here, then the horizontal relationship will take care of itself. Right? Make sense? Yeah. So what God has done is God has established a relationship between himself and the man. And then he said, okay, now, you are incomplete in terms of my plan for you. Not, I created the dude and man, I've left something out. Shoot. Shoot. Well, what is it? What is it? What can I do? What can I add to this? What, there's some flavor not there. There's some. It's not like that. God is not finished, but God is doing things in a progression. And what he's teaching us is that, men, our obedience to the Lord is the most critical component of our life. My holiness, my relationship with God, my time spent with God, my obedience to his word, what I hear from God, what I say to God, how I respond to God, that is the most critical component so god is establishing this relationship between the man and himself then he introduces the horizontal relationship and so what that means is before i can ever like like so let's think about this in a practical sense there's conflict horizontally that needs to be addressed vertically first always and what we find is that if both parties are addressing it vertically then we can deal with it horizontally but you know even if one person's addressing it vertically and the other person is not then that, that creates difficulty. So when both people are working between the, themselves and God, then we're working towards solutions. So God says it's not good. It's the only time, by the way, that God says this. The, now, this is interesting. The man is, is, is aware of his own solitude. So the man, I, he recognizes his solitude. Like Adam's recognized. Set, God's given him this job to do. You see there, he's, um, he's got this job of naming the animals. Okay, so he's, he's got a pretty big task, right? It's a big task. So he's, he's, he's doing this husbandry job, this job of naming animals, managing a huge portion of creation. God brings us into his work. Does God need us to work? Nope. I've got a couple of projects at my house that I really need to get done, but I'm waiting until summer so that my sons can work with me. School and sports and all that right now, it's not going to work. I could knock it out in probably an hour or two hours. Instead, it's going to take us six to eight hours, but I want to bring them into that work. God does that with us. He brings us into the work. And so he's bringing the man into the work. And what he's doing is he's making the man aware of his solitude so that the man's desires are beginning to line up with God's purposes. See, our desires need to be in line with God's purposes. Otherwise, because we're going to have desires. Like, I'm going to desire stuff. Like, I want a shotgun. But I'm pretty sure that's not in God's purpose for me right now. (laughs) Right. So, so okay. So let's chuck that one. All right. I want for my children to walk with the Lord all the days of their lives. Yep. I know that's God's purpose. So let's line that up and work towards that. That's a lot better endeavor. Maybe shotgun comes. Maybe it doesn't. Doesn't really matter. It's going to burn up in fire one day with everything else. So who cares, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I, like, it's funny how easily we get caught up in the things, right? Just like. But vertically, if I, if I can line up with God's purposes for me, then that's going to impact and affect my desires. So Adam begins to desire something that God has awakened in him through the relationship of purpose that God's given him. Seeing that? God's given him his purpose, name the animals. And what is he noticing as he's naming the animals? There's a bull and a cow, right? That's my youngest. You know, a lot of y'all know Moe, my little six-year-old. I'm old enough to be his granddaddy. He's killing me. Whew. Well, what's the difference in a bull and a cow? Well, I know what. The bull's got great big old horns. It's like, like no, that's, not, that's not true. Come here. So we have like a biology lesson, you know, like there's a boy and a girl, right? There's a bull and a cow. So Adam's going, there's a difference. There's a distinction. He's, he's noticing there's no helper from like what's going on in the animal kingdom in pairs. It, like so he recognizes his own solitude and becomes aware of it. Not only is there not sexual companionship, there's not physical, emotional, spiritual, there's no one with his same nature. So he doesn't share a nature with with any other created being. So he's recognizing that. So God's making him aware of his solitude. So God introduces the answer to the solitude and loneliness of man. So the Verse 18 through 20, we get the man's incompleteness. Now, verses 21 through 25, in conclusion, we get the man's completeness. God introduces it. The word helper is used here. Now, listen, this is critical in understanding the way this works. The word helper, we we need to do our best to understand what God is saying in this word. The term is not demeaning, and it is often used to refer to God in Scripture, God as our helper. That's pretty pretty big idea that god helps us that god is our helper the idea is that what is lacking in the man is provided by god but provided in and through the woman what is lacking in the man is provided by god but there's a there's a portion that god has left lacking in the man that he's going to provide in and through the woman and vice versa It goes both ways the man is created by god in such a way that he needs the help of a partner It's complementary the man and woman need one another to fulfill their destiny in the garden God's given them a destiny a vision a purpose a calling and to fulfill that in the garden. They need one another Another word is the septuagint translation. You know what the septuagint is septuagint is the original old testament scriptures were written in in hebrew Okay, and then the world Everything in the world shifted under the Greek empire and everybody started speaking Greek. So the Hebrew language, like the scripture of the Hebrew language was preserved. But when the world became Greek, a lot of people were then born into and raised without an understanding of their mother tongue. So I'll give you an example. We live live right in the middle of, of Cherokee Nation. And so my kids go to school with and play ball with a lot of Native kids, a lot of Cherokee kids. Uh, our families are friends, These are, and, and we have uh, several Cherokee families in our church, okay? Many, many, many of this generation of the Native Americans in this region don't speak the mother tongue. They don't sound any different than, than any other kid, right? So like, this, you see this happen, and this progresses, and all of us could somewhere trace roots back where we have ancestors that spoke a different dialect or brogue or language or whatever. So language has changed, etymology. So, so what happened was the Hebrew language shifted, the, the, the Hebrew culture shifted, the language is preserved. So when we go back and we look at the Hebrew word for helper, that's what we get. The Hebrew word for helper is this idea that God is our helper, it's a completion. But in the Septuagint, which is where they said, okay, everybody speaks Greek, we need them to be able to understand the Bible. So this is before Jesus had come into the world still had the old testament scriptures so they translated painstakingly they translated the hebrew text into greek that's called the septuagint if you ever hear septuagint that's what it's talking about it's the greek translation of the hebrew old testament all right now the way the word that they used in translating in the septuagint is the word bathos and the word is used in other places to describe a physician And and the idea is someone who brings to completion that which was not whole. Powerful, powerful word. Word, Words in Scripture can often have uh, a lot of significance just in the way we understand, like one word can help us understand the context of an entire passage. The phrase used next after that is fit for him. So there's, there's not a helper that's fit for him or translated, and you might see this in a footnote of your Bible, corresponding to him. ESV footnote puts... Uh, corresponding to him so god looks and says okay i've made him i'm not finished there's not a helper that corresponds to him there's not there's not a partner that corresponds and complements and corresponds to him the word literally means according to the opposite so it's like he says god noticed and recognized there's not a helper that is according to the opposite of him so physically opposite but complementary. Emotionally opposite, but complementary. So what we tend to do as a society and as a culture is sometimes we make light of the differences between men and women, and that's fun, and that's great, and it's funny. It really is. But sometimes we are on such different pages that rather than celebrate those differences, they become great sources of frustration, and it ends up being the thing that I hate about this other person is they're not like me. Well, I don't want to be married to me. If you really think about it, like, I, I appreciate that my wife is not me or like me in any way, right? Like, thank the Lord. But then what, what we do is in our own comfort, I'm com- like, well, I don't mean good comfort. I mean lazy comfort, fleshly comfort. Then I notice what's different about her, and, I'm, and, and that becomes a source of grievance. And so what God's doing is he's establishing this, 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 these two corresponding humans The word literally means according to the opposite. The idea is a counterpart. Listen to what Alan Ross says in his good commentary. It means that the woman would share the man's nature. That is, whatever the man received at creation, she too would receive and have. It's equal. It's equality. The man and woman thus corresponded physically, socially, and spiritually. The woman, by relative difference, but essential equality, would be the man's fitting complement. What he lacked, remember God said it's not good, what he lacked, she supplied. And it would be safe to say that what she lacked, he supplied. For life in common requires mutual help. Life in common requires mutual help. We see this oftentimes like in the wedding ceremony. I love doing weddings. Most, I heard, I've heard so many pastors say, how are you doing weddings? I'm like, You're, you should quit and get, go get a different job. Like, babies being born. And people, folks getting hitched. Like, that's good. Like, that's, those are good days in the ministry. So I have people ask me to do their wedding, and I'm like, yes, and thank you. Like, it's a, to me, when somebody asks me to do their wedding, I don't know that I could feel a higher honor from that person because of what that day and that ceremony represents. So, I, like, it, in, it, as long as I can do it when it's in my capacity, I do it. Now, I don't go drive off and go to everybody's wedding that comes to this ministry like 150 college students coming in this summer well that's 150 weddings over the next three to five years i ain't gonna make all them right so the ones i do i go to them (laughs) okay uh but i love going and and here's like like if you've ever set the wedding ceremony and what i try to do something that's unique i don't know if anybody else does this i try to really work to establish a message for that day that's unique to that couple so if you've heard weddings by the same pastor, oftentimes it's going to be pretty much the same thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Ephesians 5 and, and a few main principles, we can do every wedding from now until Jesus comes back. But I really try to take it personal and give this couple a word from the Lord, from the Lord's word through me as, a, as the pastor, the preacher. And it's very personal and special. But even with those like unique ceremonies, there are always going to be in a Christian biblical wedding, there's always going to be some, some things that have to be present. We always have to point it to the gospel. We're always going to have to connect it to the relationship of Jesus and the church. We're always going to have to remind people this is a shadow of something to come. This is a momentary but glorious shadow of a greater reality that's coming. So God has given us marriage to teach us something about Himself. And in the process, he teaches us about ourselves. But it's, about, it's all about Jesus. And so the phrase one flesh is used in order to describe the personal community of the man and the woman. One man, one woman in personal community. One flesh. Sexually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, even psychologically. We've been married. We're coming on 25th anniversary coming up in a couple months. And we're at that point where like, you can finish each other's thoughts. You can a look. Like, driving, something's going on in the back seat or over here, and you look and you know what each other's thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, that's starting to happen, but still, how different are we? Completely different humans. This is a beautiful picture of God bringing two people together, and he doesn't just do it on the wedding day. He continues to bind more tightly those two souls, those two people together over the course of their lives. But these principles have to be in place for us to get it right. So the question is this. Give you a question and then the conclusion to the main point. Is my marriage one in which we complement and help one another? Simple question. Are, are we helping each other? Are we complimenting each other? Do I help my spouse? Do I compliment my spouse? The man was aware of his own completeness. Here's a couple of thoughts drive into this main thought, and then we're done. The man was aware of his own incompleteness. And the, when the woman was brought to him, he was overjoyed. Literally, he's overjoyed. This, this picture, the man bursts into song. It's like this overjoyed moment that the man's experiencing. It's just worse. He's so excited, and he's singing. The woman is sharing his nature as no other creature had, and so the man's response, the man's response is one of jubilant cry. There's a lot of emotion in his response, and in that, the foundation is laid for marriage to be between one man and one woman. The man and woman live in unity of flesh and spirit, and the man leaves, behind, uh, leaves all behind to pursue this unity. Even the strong bonds of the parents are left behind in our text. He leaves the strong bonds of family, starts his own nation, his own family, his own community. So here's the main point in the idea. This has set us up for tonight. Main point is this. Here, we now see that God has established man and woman, male and female, with the spiritual capacity and unity together to serve him and keep his commands so that they might live and enjoy the bounty of creation. Read that one more time. It's the main point. We now see that God has established man and woman, male and female, with the spiritual capacity and unity together to serve him and keep his commands so that they might live and enjoy the bounty of creation. It's the main point. The final verse points out the lack of shame between these two people, completely comfortable with each other. Why? It's what God's intended and what God designed. And we know that we got to go to the next part, and that's where we'll go tonight, which is the next chapter, where man messes this thing up. And so we've got to see God's grace in that. Right here, you've got this really cool picture where there's no shame. There's no shame. They're completely unashamed before one another. They have total comfort with one another because there's no fear of evil. But we know that's going to get introduced into the world. And we've got to figure out how to deal with evil and shame and guilt and past sin. Some of that was touched on last night. Dealing with the conflict that you brought into the marriage. And how do we extend grace to one another? So we'll look at that this evening. But for now, I'm going to pray, and we're going to close with a couple songs together. Lord, I thank you for your word and the fact that you give us with clarity an understanding of all things in our lives that might pertain to life and godliness. And uh, this morning, God, we we ask you to to help us to understand your word uh, in the context of biblical marriage. Uh, that as men and women, we would live in unity together in a way that honors you, reflects your glory, helps one another, encourages, strengthens. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the good, clear instruction that you give us in Genesis 2. In a creation that you set apart to reflect your glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And in Romans 1, your word says that what is to be known about you is evident through what you've created. And right in the middle, the hub of that creation You knit together a man and a woman to reveal something about yourself that the rest of creation fell short of. Help us to understand that and understand the pursuit of your glory is what will bring us greatest joy and satisfaction. I want to worship you now through song in Jesus' name. Amen.